three, four. Gimme, gimme, let's smile. I think called a step out, step out. I want you. Hi everyone, I am so excited to share the next guest with you through a multiple part episode, which I promise is every bit worth your time. It was truly one of the most honest and connective conversations I have ever had with anybody about what it's like to be in the musical theater industry. I decided I wanted to sit down with both Bradley Gibson and Adam Heineman together because they are truly two of the most grounded and honest people I have ever met. I've known them separately for years, and they both have served as such incredible sounding boards in my life. Bradley Gibson currently stars as Simba in The Lion King on Broadway, and he has appeared in the original Broadway cast of both A Bronx Tale and Rocky. He went to school for musical theater at Boston Conservatory. He truly does it all in terms of singing, dancing, and acting, and is the absolute epitome of a go-getter. He reinvents himself through every season of his life and is a powerful presence to be around. He will make you laugh. He will make you cry. I freaking love Bradley Gibson. Adam Heineman is a jack of all trades. He graduated from freaking Princeton with a degree in cultural anthropology and a minor in theater and dance. If that doesn't tell you how well-rounded, smart, and genuine this human being is, I don't know what will. He has recently appeared in the epic revival of Once on this Island after making his Broadway debut in Aladdin. And since recording our podcast, you will be seeing Mr. Adam Heineman in Town on Broadway. So proud of you, Adam. His versatile background seems to influence his extraordinary mission of creating possibilities for people to connect and activate their own purposes. He does this through personalized wellness coaching and through his theatrical endeavors on and off the stage. Both of these men were overwhelmingly open about their lives and careers thus far, and we left absolutely no topic unspoken about. We talked about our upbringings, education, disappointments and injuries, and their experiences as queer black men in the world and industry. Their stories are powerful and so, so relatable, and I hope there are many moments that allow you to reflect on your own experiences and give yourself permission for all the feelings that may have existed within them. This is Bradley Gibson and Adam Heineman. Can you tell me about yourselves as little kids? Um, what were you like? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, just give me some insight into baby Bradley and baby Adam. Mm, okay. Bradley, take I'll, it away. I'll go first. <laughs> I uh, grew up in a little town uh, called Pinehurst, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I was raised by my grandmother, pretty much. My great-grandmother, actually. My parents had me when they were very young. And I have always wanted to be a performer. Really? From, you know, there was never a moment where I can really remember wanting to do something else. That's I remember, awesome. yeah, I remember being a little kid and, like, watching, you know, Annie or watching even like the Muppet show how they were kind of like on stage you know that was so like 
I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. Mm. I would kind of like invent these, you know, crazy sort of like fantasy worlds in my living room. And like I remember I would memorize dances and songs and mm-hmm. because I was an only child, too. Oh, so I was, you know, playing, you know, by myself a lot of the time. And I would mostly spend my time like creating. Did you have access to things in your early, early childhood that allowed you to explore that? Or was it mostly in your home, just getting to make believe and getting to play pretend? It was mostly in my home, even yeah. though um, dance was a part of my life. I um, was in dance class early on as a kid, but I was so incredibly shy. Like, wow. so shy that like I was the kid that would meet someone new and shake their hand and immediately start like crying, you know, silent tears would come down my face. I was oh. so terrified to be with new people and be in new spaces. So I didn't really, you know, thrive in that dance environment around other kids or with the teachers or That's feeling so that pressure. I didn't like that. But I would get home and I would do all the combinations we had just done mm-hmm. in class. Or I would like make up my own thing or I'd be singing. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. But I performed for the first time when I was in kindergarten in our Christmas play. Oh, yes. It a was, good um, Christmas play to uh, oh, start yeah, the career Oh, yeah. Good off. Christmas play. <laughs> there were no auditions. There, um, the music teacher, Miss Gill. Oh, shout out to Miss Gill. Miss Gill. She started it off. Yeah. <laughs> she just asked me to play one of the parts. It was a show about this... Um, little kitten and how like it was her first Christmas and all the other pets in the house were kind of like telling her about Christmas and whatnot. This sounds like money. Oh, epic. Yeah. Money. I got cast as the old dog. (laughs) I feel like that could be typecasting. (laughs) I feel like that may have been your first typecast. And my grandma made me like a little like, you know, costume with like a sweatsuit with a little like hat with ears and stuff. Oh, that is amazing. And I was so nervous and I got on stage and I remember seeing everyone out there and seeing, you know, my mom and my grandma and every my aunts, everyone out there taking pictures. And I was nervous, but I was living. Oh, you know what I mean? I was like, this feels so good. How do I, like, shake off this nervousness wow. and, like, live in it? Because it felt so right. That's Bradley, so you, interesting. You've played many animals on stage. Oh, oh really? Many animals, many. even now. Oh, you know. oh my gosh. <laughs> Look yes. at that circle. Look at there. Many, Look at there. many animals. The Not circle just, like, of life. so many You must sit your spirit stage. animal. I don't know which specific animal, well, but your spirit is an animal. Yeah. It's exactly. a discovery. It's a discovery. I love that. I think it's uh, so interesting when, you know, I was just talking to a family member yesterday about how certain social situations, if I'm too much of the center of attention of a social situation, I get very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I can give a speech, I can do things that are prepared, I can lead a group, but that like social setting really makes me uncomfortable. So, and she was like, but it's so odd, you spend your life literally in the spotlight. But I think that's such a cool element and it shows like the different sides to us and sometimes maybe we're expected to be just extroverted people because yeah, yeah. we do something that can be a little selfish or indulgent. People um, or always say that, that to me. Even now, like my relatives will say, you know, why are you so nervous to make a speech or why are you so nervous to sing in front of your family at oh a dinner? My God, I'm like, because yeah. what I do it's, you know, I'm pretending to be someone or something else. Ah, yeah. And I get to kind of hide and put myself away. And I think I've spent my entire life, you know, mm. pretending to be, 
you know, to get away from myself or my nervous energy and my shyness. And it made me, you know, really like be so happy and be someone else. Oh, I and like, I think yeah. that even now, like even as, you know, a 28 year old, I'm still so shy and nervous. And it, it I, I have a way of putting that away, obviously, when I'm working or when I'm in certain social situations. But it has always been that way for me. Oh, interesting. I will get into kind of like what you have developed in order to put that away because I yeah. think that's such an interesting thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Adam. Yeah, cool. Can you tell me? Mine wasn't exactly the same. Oh, which um, I love. I think that's <laughs> the joy of the two of you being here together. Um, I grew up in a multiracial family mm-hmm. in rural New Jersey, and I'm the youngest of four boys. Wow. So there was a buoyancy towards, um, you know, the activities that my older brothers were doing. And um, and you said you were the youngest? I am the youngest, yeah. You were, as in you are. You still exist <laughs> as the youngest. You did not pass them. So um, it kind of looked like academics and sports were, were a lot of the momentum for the Hyman family. Mm. Um, and my father is a, um, a biologist. So I grew up wanting to be a professional soccer player and a scientist. Because sure. like, you were exposed what, to that so yeah, young. Yeah. Um, so there was another aspect in terms of anyone in the arts who pursues it professionally has some sort of exposure to it. You, know? sure. and you can trace back like where that um, formative experience was or influence. And um, first off, definitely was my mother who Mm. is a singer herself and a dancer herself and she was really involved in filipino folk dance and musical theater growing up her whole life through high school through college um and there was you know choirs that we sang in church all the time my family's um also like in ministry in that aspect so i grew up like going to church and my mom leading worship and uh, singing in choirs and stuff and then we would go like often um be involved in other choirs and stuff and other churches um so that was normal um i remember my first like mm-hmm. performance moment when i was five years old also a christmas program at church great However, accessible opportunity for young right? kids right? five is the age five is the five age is the if you age. don't start by five you missed it <laughs> just kidding um, just kidding what's funny is I have an older brother Joey who's two years older than me okay. and um, we were raised very much like twins because he was a little bit shorter and I was a little bit bigger for my age mm. so we were like the same height and size for ten years it was like very odd, and then I outgrew him. So it was sorry, kind Joey. of that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so he was seven, and I was five, and he got the solo for "Go Tell It on the Mountain." What a great jam! But a unacceptable. Jam. A bop. A bop. Really. <laughs> a bop. One truly. of the original bops. Um, and I remember we went to rehearsal one day. It was like the week before um, the actual like program and it was like one of the last um rehearsals and we go into the church and there's like a coat room off to the side i like ran in first and like took off my coat and went back into the like uh sanctuary where the kids were rehearsing because also my family's always late for everything ah so joey was lagging behind and then the like woman like 
um, organizing the children's choir was like, come on, come on, it's time for your solo. So I was walking up and she oh, thought this, I was Joey. This is fierce. I know. This is juicy. This is, so I, I walked down and I, she's like, it's time for your solo. Come, come, come. You're late. So I like went and they started and I started singing Go Tell on the Mountain because you know I was ready. Yeah, I, you were the I universal was swing for the show. So you I, I just I, I snatched the role. And what's hilarious is Joey walking into the like sanctuary being like, that's. Just That's my solo. And then he, right he, the he, after we like finished and everything, he he like didn't exactly know how to explain. He like tried to like explain at the end to the That's woman. Not Joey. And she's like, "What? Let's we'll just keep it this way." So I ended up keeping the solo. You snooze, you lose. And kids. Joey yeah. hasn't like performed in like that contest. It, it destroyed the future. Yeah, all my other theater. brothers, all my other brothers, like continued through like high school and everything, singing in choirs. And Joey was like, "I'm gonna like play the bass or the drums." And, like he was like, "Not gonna sing." Oh, that's amazing. I don't know if that was like some sort of trauma. I'm I'm sure it lives deep deep in Somewhere. his uh, whatever the lobe of your brain but that your trauma lives. I there's like a video of me recording like the night a, a recording a home video of like me. Oh, you have practicing it. it, and it is adorable. Oh, a crystalline voice. It's never been better. If only we could have a video element of this podcast <sighs> because because I, I pull it out. <laughs> but I what's funny is that also started like a relationship of like my mom like being involved in mm. in those things and like you also see like her like coaching me and like my breath support and like that's like a whole. <laughs> Just history of my oh, mom, I love like, that. ragging on my breast so far. That's um, hysterical. So that was a moment that I think about um, planting the, the seed. Yeah, planting a seed, but I continued through high school, like singing choirs, but never did theater. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. And I caught the theater bug. I would say the second half of high school when uh, somebody dropped out of Godspell during Tech Week. And my choir director, who was also the music director for the school musical, like begged me to do it. And I filled in in that week. And like, it was such a synergy Mm. of expression. And my parents talk about all the time how like, it it was just so clear that this ignited a passion. That's so um, interesting. And then by the next year in in high school, I ended up like choreographing, stage managing, and doing the lights for you the You went full Like it was throttle. just like, I, would, I went all the way in. Do as much as you can at that um, point. Oh, and then there was, there was one other, if I talk about one touchstone in the form and for, um, in the very fundamental part sure. of my upbringing is, you know, my mom was a, a dancer as well. Um, but everyone was doing sports, right? So there was this woman, Miss Denise. What's up, Miss Denise? Denise, who happened to be on the board of the county college, mm. and my father was asked to be on that the board with with her, and they like met, and they were the only black people in the community, <laughs> which was interesting, and they connected. And she, she was a dancer and started a uh, dance studio. And um, she heard that 
he had all these boys and she's like we're always looking for boys in the oh, studio absolutely and she convinced the family to enroll Joey and I in ballet tap and jazz when we were like little kids so we ended up doing like ballet tap and jazz over there um, for I think between I was like 8 and like 14 yeah and that's then I stopped wonderful before though. high school because mm-hmm. I was just doing sports. I also quit dance for a <laughs> while, which oh, is too. like the black, dark period of my childhood where I was like, no dance, rebellion against that. And I just wanted the musical theater yes. stuff. And the dance, I think, also served as like a incredible confidence builder up until it didn't mm-hmm. for me as a child. Well, yeah. yeah, I think it. if I wasn't a ballet dancer, thank God for my tap teacher as a child because she really... When it was clear that I had a facility that looked like it would be a ballerina, and then what I could actually do fell really short of <laughs> what a ballerina needs to be able to do, there was n- not a ton of options in my community. And so my tap teacher ended up kind of pulling a lot of us um, over to start this tap company. Wow. And then that became a safe haven because. Mm. Um, there was a little bit of, I think, mental trauma that happened through the ballet training that we all still probably, sure, you know, deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so to find something that empowered me to dance a certain way and then has since informed a lot of my career thus far. That's true. was interesting, but I always forget about quitting dance. Yeah. yeah. I, I quit forget. for a while, too. Dance oh, yeah? was such a moment where you said, like, there's a, a, a trauma there. I yeah. think as a kid, only having that sort of, that dance Dance being the only thing you're doing dance and being trauma. around all these kids who dance are only trauma. focused on dance, yeah. teachers who are only focused on dance and ballet and being a professional dancer. Mm-hmm. When I I saw that and I felt like, you know, I have these guidelines or these rules or these classes and you do this and you get better and you have the facility. People tell you you could be good, but you're not working hard enough at this uh-huh. thing and like trying to love it and loving it, but feeling like you're not, you know, you're not made to do it. Right. You know, right. And if you weren't made to do it, in your head, you haven't connected the pieces of mm-hmm. that y- your dance can be part of something else, aka musical theater, where yeah. there is this like triangle of skill set. Now it's like a freaking octagon of skill set. But like nobody really had that awareness, mm-hmm. I think, especially now there's more of it because of social media, because of um, the live casting for shows and different um, outreach. I think that has allowed smaller towns to be informed about what you can use dance to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah for me, like it was it's really... It's waves. Like yeah. I really, um, they didn't... I did a play, or I did plays. I sang, and I danced. But it never really came together until I found a way for it to come together, me which too. is so fascinating. That, aha, aha. Sort of situation, yeah. And then it was, I will drive however far, I will do whatever I have to do in order to go to a place that allowed me to actually do full musicals and yeah. whatever that entailed. Yeah. Um, for you, Bradley, what was, because um, you talked about high school, Adam, and how that was a place where you kind of got to do your first opportunity, first musical theater opportunity. Yeah, and I think there was also something very empowering about doing something that was a little unique. Yeah. My own experience. Sure. And, you know, you spend your whole life wearing hand-me-downs and doing the same things as mm. these older brothers, and then now you're you're charting your own, you know, course. Oh, and that's yeah. um, 
that's affirming of your own identity in a very powerful way. So especially in a time where high school can be, um, we have a lot of insecurities that oh, obviously gee. we carry into our adulthood. <laughs> However, yeah, yeah. high school to find something high that um, you find expansive probably for the first time in your life and that feels true and real. Yeah. It's probably really. Um, informative um, for the confidence that then you carry into your life and I'm curious for you Bradley how that um, how your high school experience then because you then ended up in a musical theater program in college Mm -hmm. so there must have been um, some preparation that happened prior to that between old Christmas gig and (laughs) old BFA yeah yeah, I, I started doing community theater when I was in the fifth grade a teacher kind of saw that I was creative and a singer and that I danced. And I also was an equestrian horseback rider for a long time. When I quit dancing, I started doing that. I rode horses as a kid. Look. But I was too scared to do it in front of people. Mm-hmm. So I would just sit in the stalls and clean up their shit. <laughs> and so I got ribbons for cleaning up the most poop. I Thank got you, so, Mom and Dad. Um, Thank that you. training, which is also so rigorous and expensive and time consuming, I... I was doing that, so I kind of let that took the priority over dance. So interesting. But I was still singing in the choir and doing all that stuff still. But my teacher had me start doing community theater, and I loved it. And I did mm. every single show possible, everything. I was in every show, every recital, every opportunity to be around you know this community theater where I was around kids my age who loved doing it, too. It's such a special and unique yeah. energy to that. I, I can remember feeling that for the first time, too. I didn't feel like a weirdo, you know what yeah. I mean? I wasn't just alone <laughs> yeah. in my living room, like, singing, singing tunes and dancing and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I got to high school, and I t- did musicals there. I did all the shows um, from freshman year on. And I still didn't understand musical theater. I didn't understand that these things that I was doing was, right. you know, they were musicals and yeah. they were on Broadway. I didn't and understand. that's like a career. Yeah, a I profession. didn't see that. Mm. But when I was 16 years old, um, a email went out to all the theater teachers in the state of North Carolina saying that they were doing a production of a chorus line um, up in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina. It was Summerstock. And they were looking to cast... Uh, North Carolina residents of some of the roles. They're looking for these roles. The beginning of local hires, my friends. One of them. Yes. One of the roles was Richie in a chorus line. I'd never heard of a chorus line. Sure. It happened on a Monday. I still haven't. Uh, Yeah, what's a chorus line? (laughs) My teacher uh, asked me to make a tape of me dancing and singing and everything, a monologue. And by Thursday, I had the job. And I didn't understand what that was. Really cool. All these, like, there were (laughs) contracts, which, you know, weren't, like... I negotiated sure my contract. Really difficult. Yeah. I got like EMC points. I was like, "What's an EMC?" Who needs like those. And no. I proceeded to like wait for this summer, three four week job to come. Wow. My parents took me out there. I, you know, we stayed in these college dorms, and I was the youngest person. Everyone else in the production was they were all adults. They were either in college. Ooh, at, I like, think this is so good. This at is one such of a the many, you know musical theater schools that are like the best ones or they were in New York mm-hmm. auditioning and getting jobs and I was like my mind was blown yeah to see like they I was like find a Richie in all of yeah. New York right but I mean, <laughs> so they went to North Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> I was like okay. I was like wait what do you mean like you live in New York and you are an actor they're like yeah I live in New York City I work at this restaurant and in the daytime I audition at 
for these jobs. Some are wow. some are like around the country. Some are tours, cruise ships, Broadway shows. I was like, you just go and do it. <laughs> I want to do that. And yeah. they're like, I go to this school. I'm going back to school to do my senior year at Carnegie Mellon. I'm going back to Boston Conservatory, whatever the schools were. I was like, there's schools that do musical theater where you just wow. dance and sing and act all and that? And how old were you? I was 16. So I was right before my junior year. So after that summer, you know, that summer also, like, I had my first sip of alcohol and everything because they're don't all. Don't tell anyone, don't right? tell anyone. <laughs> I remember all the producers and the directors, like, had this big company meeting at first, like the meet and greet. And part of the meet and greet was here's Bradley, he's 16, he's a you're child. all adult. Don't do anything because we could get in trouble. Like, uh, don't expose him to anything bad. Yep. And that then proceeded them to be like, drink this. <laughs> So, um, uh, this is our big chance this? to yeah, corrupt exactly. you because it's just going to get worse. Exactly. <laughs> but I went back to school junior year, like, knowing what I wanted to do because it mm. finally made sense. That summer, I was around these professionals, and they were constantly affirming me, too, saying, like, you're so good at picking up this choreography. You're so good at picking up the ability to play the part and do the show. Like, you fit in like us, and you're 16. You should really consider going to school for this and coming to New York. Oh, I love and that. And here's, a, you know, here's the list of schools. Here is, you know, what you should be focusing on auditioning, like, where you should go and everything. So I was I curious about that, if there was... Um for both of you, if there was a verbal cue given to you by somebody at any point in your life that was the moment of going, oh, I apparently have what it takes to do this. Because I don't know if I necessarily have that moment in my head. I had people in my life during high school that started helping me get that information together. But I think I was just so stubborn and had a drive and was like, I may not be amazing at this, yeah. but I'm going to do this with my yeah. life. Um and I hopefully will get there. And alas, I think that's what happened. But I think it's really helpful for people to hear different versions of that. Do you have that moment for you, Adam, where it became, oh, I actually maybe have what it takes to pursue this as a profession? Yeah. I know your college experience was, was different. slightly different. Like, I, you know, had that aha moment of all of these different experiences um, coming together at the end of high school mm -hmm. when it came together in musical theater. Um, but I still was focused on other things. Yeah. Like being a, a professional performer was like this weird pipe dream, but never a reality. Sure. You know, I would rent like classic MGM movies and watch everything Gene Kelly, mm. but like I would never think about like what that is mm -hmm. but in a weird way I still dreamt it yes even though yes. all of my actions were about what my next step is what my next step is so every summer I was going to like leadership camps and economics camps <laughs> and literally <laughs> I, I wanted to be as academically focused as possible because I wanted to go into business we were and then, so opposite and then I thought like <laughs> if I want to go into this. business and I have this artistic sensibility down the road, I can be a producer. Like, so I'm gonna go to business school, I'm gonna do all these things, and then I'm gonna end up like producing films or maybe Broadway and do all these things. So sure. I ended up being a psycho about <laughs> colleges. I remember yeah. I made a list of like my top 40 schools. <laughs> Ranked like, in like spreadsheets if with I like don't what go to their one of like criteria were and what all these things were. And my father was like, "So you're gonna die if you find all this? <laughs> who is because I I like gave him this huge list and I was like, okay, th these are the like schools that I need to visit. 
and like all over the country. And he's like, you're Who's funding this absolutely out of your mind. And then he said, bring it down to 10 schools. Yeah. And then we'll talk about which ones we actually want to visit. I'm like, what? Maybe 25. <laughs> and then he was like, you can only go to one. And then that was a moment where I was like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, that was good advice. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up um, applying to schools that had strong business programs. Mm-hmm. And then s- schools that also had strong, like, arts programs. Yeah. Films or theater. But it was always, like, what has, like, a great program in, like, a minor, you know, in film or a joint sure. program. So I was, like, so jazzed about, like, going to USC for the joint program in business and film. Yeah. Um, and I was, like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be a producer in two seconds. Um, <laughs> and then um, I got into these business schools and I got into these other schools. And I also applied to Princeton. And... Didn't know. I don't know I if would... anyone's heard of Princeton. <laughs> it's um, a little university, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's Small nice. It's like up there, yeah, totally. <laughs> and I ended up getting in. Um, and what was crazy is that there was like this tuning fork moment of knowing that I have forecast what I was supposed to do, sure. and what the steps to that were, without actually discovering anything Mm -hmm. so I was afforded this opportunity to go to a liberal arts school which Princeton was and they don't allow you to declare your major until the end of your sophomore year so here I, I think was. that's so at 18 wonderful. I was like I don't know oh, what I want to do my whole I life like We're like I wanted told. to be I mean yes. marine biologist and of this and of that and a boom 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 yes and I was like wait I can actually discover and explore and yeah. then find what I want to do and it had a great mix of things and it had just all these opportunities that I was like I got into this place and I'm going to take advantage of everything and I remember Mm. getting onto campus and everyone I met like I remember being like so excited and I was like if if ever I am jaded about being here I need you to slap me in the face because I I am going to take advantage of everything here Um, and I was you know of course um, really sports oriented but I made a decision like not to go through recruiting Mm -hmm. for anything um, and just focus on academics because I knew how much of a crapshoot that was. Yeah. Like to focus on a sport, to be my my inroad to college, and then have that be my main responsibility in college to do. You know. What and I mean? it sounds I just like you already have, had the academics to push you along anyway. Yeah, I so just the sports wanted, probably just well rounded you. At yeah, that point. certainly. And I wanted just the opportunity and the freedom of that. Um, but when I got to campus, I ended up um, walking on to the uh, varsity track team. So I was running track at Princeton, and I joined an acapella group as well. And I yes. was studying economics. I remember us first talking about that acapella group <laughs> in Potsdam, New York. You're I really right. do. Yes, I remember yes, talking yes. about it. It's so interesting, and it's amazing that the school provided so many different opportunities to explore and yeah. I think you know especially in theater and in dance I think the college process 
and applying and auditioning and all these things. And I'm sure any programs, but you know, there's so many degrees that you can do so many things with. Like yeah. everyone's always like, get a law degree. You can do anything with a law degree. Yeah. Musical theater requires all of a sudden, we think it requires, this is also something I want to talk to you guys about, but we think it requires a certain uh, trajectory. Yeah. We think it requires the auditions for the schools. If you don't get in, to the best, what we have declared the best, five, mm-hmm. ten programs, that's your first sign that you can't do it. And I think that's severely incorrect. Mm. And it is an amazing opportunity, and a lot of people thrive in different programs across the country. Some people cannot go to school in New York at 18. Some people need to go to smaller programs. Some people need bigger pro- programs. Someone may need more intense programs. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really yeah. interesting for you to um, have not gotten a degree in it, to have explored all these other things, and still have been super artistic throughout your time yeah. at a university. Well, it's a very sobering pill um, to swallow, and I tell this to like a lot of young people, because there's no one way. Yes. There's no one trajectory, and... Even one thing that works for another person might not work for you. There are people that are successful in conservatories. There are people that are not successful in Mm -hmm. conservatories. There are people that are successful in liberal arts education. There are people that are not successful. So it really comes down to the opportunity of learning about yourself and using the resources that you're afforded to discover and gain awareness. Mm. Because when you become an informed person about life, then you're able to use the skill set that you have oh, for yes. anything. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And Big I think time. that if I talk about like that moment, which I didn't even answer your question. I don't know was, what my question was. Was about like, who, was there a moment where someone like affirmed Yes, you? yes. Um, I, you know, started out like being like business oriented, but I also like knew that Princeton had such amazing arts um, opportunities and their connection with the McCarter Theater, which is right off campus. And um, their arts programs are amazing, scholarly, and like very rich environments for theater, dance, visual arts, everything. But they don't allow you to major in those programs. So I ended up starting out business. And then I like move closer towards the humanities. I ended up majoring in anthropology and getting a minor in theater and a minor in dance. I um, love that. But in my sophomore year, I ended up taking a course with John Rando, who won a Tony for directing. Yes. And he was like the first person that Princeton brought in that was really working in the field. Big on time. Big because time. all of our classes were very cerebral and academic and looking at dramaturgy and scholarship mm-hmm. and a lot of critics of theater and a lot of people that can discuss it. We were writing papers, but this was like one of the first classes that they did that was like practical. It was a it was a studio class, you know, we Very cool. We were working on rep and doing scenes and and directing each other and working with this incredible person doing the work now. And I remember I sat with him on one office hours and and we had a one-on-one and he literally was like, so are you thinking about doing this? And I was like, um, I don't like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think I've always had this dream if I, if I want to be honest, like, but I never gave it any like value. And he's like, I think you should, because I think you can. 
He's like, wow. and it was just so matter of fact. And I can't, I can't even like tell you if I knew how much that meant in the moment. Mm. But it really informed like how I took choices moving forward. Yeah. From that moment, everything I then strategized on how to focus back to the arts. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get, I definitely, I'm curious about your trans, both of your transitions, obviously, out mm-hmm. of school. Um, and Bradley, I know you got a BFA from Boston Conservatory, if I'm I correct, did. in musical theater. I did. Um, which I know there's probably so many people who either have went there or are listening that currently go there. Mm-hmm. Um and when I was applying for schools, my cousin actually goes to Voco. Really? Mm-hmm. She does for so, musical theater. Yes. Oh, it's that's kind of crazy. Amazing. They live in the same dorm. The, freshman. Oh, I the love same that. building, the same She's room. <gasps> it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Madeline. That's some good um, juju for yeah. your cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious about your experience, and we can uh, kind of share what how we both um, feel about our particular BFA programs or how that informed our careers, but I'm mm-hmm. curious about your experience. Yeah, like I said, when I got back from that summer stock job, I was so uh, I was so sure what, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go about doing it. And I think sure. that production also kind of like gave everyone in my life that like push too, to push me. Yeah. My voice teacher, my choir teacher, my theater teacher, my dance teachers, everyone kind of like lined up to tell me you know, to affirm me and say, you should do this. And no longer a hobby, right? No longer a hobby. playing in the major leagues. It was serious. I got two years of like me being crazy driven and serious and everyone around me also supporting me in that, my family, everyone. Our timelines are similar because mine basically was 16 to 18 too when I was like kicking into high gear. Things got really serious. And my voice teacher said to me, he was like, okay, to my colleges. And I kind of wanted to do... I was trying to figure out a way to study the arts, but in a realistic way for my yes. world. So at one point I was going to be, you know, study theater education. Mm-hmm. I worked so hard in um, voice in, in high school, so I was going to study voice or voice education or work in that world. Sure. Um, but my teachers were like, you know, you need to pursue performing. And there are schools like I already knew about that could yeah. do musical theater. And he said, I want to put you in contact with my childhood friend who was a Broadway performer. I was like, who's your friend? He says, Gavin Creel. So we start talking to this I'm guy, of, right? Uh, Who is this guy, Gavin Creel? And not me, a bad right? Not at all. But my, like, I didn't know anything. I was only researching Absolutely. the shows that I was in. Absolutely. So we're talking to this guy, <laughs> and I go on his website. At the time, he was in London doing Mary Poppins, and my response back to my voice teacher was, "I know he's not on Broadway. He's not like he's in London. No he's in I London know. doing Mary Poppins. So he didn't really know. And at the time, he was really uh, pushing his own original." work his original music which is amazing now in your right? you know adulthood the you're like that's badass yeah. but when you're a kid you're like i'll only speak to bernadette peters right i'm like yeah. i don't know who he is like he's so not on broadway right now he doesn't so know little. but he gave me like you know he checked off on my list of schools he told me which ones he would give priority to he told me How to kind of like go to Come everything on, Come on, he was, yeah he was in touch with me about all my auditions and i would you know i had to tell my grandmother that we had to go you know around the freaking country yeah. to audition for these schools and she was in shock I did all that which is insane and also the first thing where I think um, 
musical theater training is not necessarily accessible mm-hmm. to everyone who wants to pursue it. For that number one reason, financially, if you can't so get your ass to New York City for Unifieds, if that's still a thing, unless I'm aging myself. It is. I know I didn't know what was. I, oh I didn't my know God. what that was. I was so lucky that my parents signed up and they were like, all right, we will support this. But those auditions and running around just singing Don't Rain on My Parade at 9 a.m. and oh my God, what'd you sing? What'd you sing? Oh, I'm mortified. <laughs> um, I sang... What was the song from Wild Party where she's talking about um, uh, being abused? I will never forget one audition. I sang it and the director for one of the schools got in my face and was like, you're singing about abuse. And he was like screaming <laughs> at me. Oh, oh, so he needed me to act like a battered woman and I'm 18 years old. And then do not shame me for this. I am more educated now and I would never do this again. I sang change from a new brain. Okay. 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 Hysterical. <laughs> I'm asking for money. I'm pretty sure a black woman sings it. <laughs> I literally, it was like I picked it two weeks before because I did not want to sing Children of Eden, Spark of Creation. Mm. Which because, is my audition song now. <laughs> yes. It actually is. Great gender bender. It really Ooh, is. I love. Girl, I, was I like, sang If I Loved You and I Got Plenty of Nothing from Porky and Bess. <laughs> no, Two God. legit songs. And now I think about those auditions. Each school was like trying to make me sing one of them in the end, like in a more like contemporary <laughs> poppy way because they're both the most like legitty, legitty yeah. way. Um, but Gavin was so nice to me and I've told him this story since then like, okay. multiple times, which I is so that. cool. Yes. And Full he circle. took gave me so much of his time, like emailing back and forth, telling me what to do, telling me how, asking me how things went. And finally he was like, oh wow, you got into this these schools. Just go to the one that you feel like drawn to, that feels yeah. good when you visit in that you know, in that way, not visiting to audition, visiting to just see the school and experience it. And I, um, Boston Conservatory was my first audition, and I think the second school I went to go actually visit once I got in and did that next round sure. of visiting, and I felt so good there. It was, yeah. you know, it wasn't crazy New York. Yeah. It was, you know, Boston's a little bit more intimate. You get a taste of the city, but yeah, it's you get college to focus central. on your education a little yeah. bit more. Every corner is another school. There's students yeah. everywhere. Um, and my mom on the tour went crazy because she said it looked like fame. It felt like the fame school. It really school. does. Yeah. I remember touring it and, and hearing people warming up and hearing pianos and everyone's walking around with like instruments and certain, because mm-hmm. there's all these different programs and I was like, I really feel like I'm in a movie. Yeah, and it's small. There's like 600 students. That means yeah. all the different um, de- degrees. It was so, I felt like I was at home there. Yeah. And when I got there, I was terrified because I was, you know, sure. you're leaving home. I never been oh, that far away so from home. Scared. I me was too. so scared. I cried my eyes out when my family left me. Oh, we, we all were cried full together. Dysfunction on the streets, sobbing. But then I felt this weird wave of relief after they left. My parents will tell you we were like dysfunction upon dysfunction of <laughs> mm-hmm. like emotions when it comes to it. So like for the whole day, we are like not making eye contact. It was like the most <laughs> oh dramatic gosh. goodbye of all time. And then the second they left, I was like. Yeah. Okay, I can do this. Yeah. But that goodbye was so stressful for me. Yeah. Me too. I just like, Your once kids. they left, I was like, I can buy whatever groceries I want. I just bought like boxes and boxes of Cheez-Its <laughs> and like cupcakes. I just had a blast for like my first six oh, months That of freedom, yeah. Like, I was like, money! <laughs> yeah. For 
Oh my god, everyone! <laughs> Monopoly money, and you think you're an adult. Yeah. All of a sudden, and you're no. spending. Ev- you're still not spending your own money. Not. Some people are, and <laughs> those people. I mean, that's true. Freaking amazing props to you because you get thrown in the deep end. Yeah. But I was like having a blast with that university card I got. Oh, it was so fun. <laughs> also, it was scary though because once again, I was around people who were doing exactly what I wanted to do, and I didn't feel like a weirdo. But these students, my peers, were so much more knowledge. They, they had so, spent maybe so much time. The they knew all yeah. these shows. They had, you know, hard drives full of cast recordings and like bootleg Broadway College shows. College musical theater kids love you all because believe me, I was that too. Freaking crazy though. Yeah. It's like you eat, breathe, sleep. Who knows more? Can you know more? Do you yeah. know that song? You don't know that song? You're a douchebag. You gotta know that song. It was like it's a crash like a course. Yeah, and like I learned so much in that first like two weeks of like orientation. I learned so much about musical theater just from my friends. I was like, wait, yeah. that's a show? This is a performer? This is what I could do? Like this is yeah. how close we are to New York? All these sorts of, um, and all the information kind of filled my head, mm-hmm. which made me even more like, hungry because I was also around people who were so talented to me. They were the best dancers, the best singers. They were the best actors. They had some of my friends had been like to London doing shows at like the old globe. I was like, like, what? I'm from like a little country town who only did community theater and like dance down the street from my house. Like what am I doing here? I got to school and I I love my experience there. Um, I, I danced quite a lot in school because it is a heavier dance program, yeah, from really, my understanding. Yeah, the heavy dance program there. And Which dance kind of came back into my life in high school and in college because I had all this, like, you know, my, my, my facility was so built and ingrained in dance and knew what sure. to do and my pickup skills. And I kind of, like, I was an asset, to I think, to the conservatory in that way. Yeah. Uh, also being a guy, you yeah. know, not being like, you know, not being a small guy, being a bigger guy. Sure. Um, so I danced a lot there. But I also just, I, I thrived on the people in my community that were around me. I had such a good time. I, I felt like by the time I left there, like I could do anything. But yet I also had a lot of, you know, a lot of insecurities, I think, build up over the time. I was there. Yes, I think that's so important that you touch on that because yeah. I, from my experience as well, I think, I don't think we talk about how college really, especially in any program, I don't know if it's necessarily just a theater or dance based program, but I think a lot of the goal is to like strip you down mm-hmm. and then teachers want to build you back up in a marketable way. Mm-hmm. But I think in turn, I don't know if we focused enough on building back the human beings as much as we focus on building up incredible performers, which are more like machines as opposed to rather than thinking, yeah. feeling, yeah. thriving humans. Definitely machines. And I think that there's a, uh, we could talk about the actual like curriculum of the, of what happens in the school, but also mm-hmm. there's a huge, the culture of the school and the people who go there, you kind of start worrying more about like what's fierce or yes, how people, yes. what what are you doing and how do you look best to make the culture of everyone around you, teachers, I students, friends, say yes. like you're fierce. And then you end up, you know, really like running down that lane of what everyone says you're great at. Yes, as opposed to, I think when you get out of school, you start realizing nobody's there to say you're fierce anymore. No. And maybe what people were telling you was fierce was actually not what you do Mm -hmm. and was not what is authentic to you. I found that my dance 
grew so extensively when I left college mm-hmm. because I didn't have to feel insecure anymore about maybe not hearing that's fierce because I wasn't the girl who could kick my face or kick my like whatever and I was I was so much more of like wanting to tell stories and wanting to learn how to use my body and my voice to do all of it and I was in a dance program which was a conscious choice mm-hmm. I had I all of a sudden, like last minute, was going to go to a school for musical theater, and I was really obsessed with pace, and I couldn't get it out of my head. It felt like home, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be in New York because I was eighteen-year-old Brittany, even younger than that, was still what she is now, which was like hyper freaking focused. So I was like, "Well, if I'm going to be on Broadway, Broadway's in New York. I can't wait till I'm 22. I got to do it now." <laughs> yeah, thinking I was going to be on Broadway in college was really probably what I thought. Mm. Um, mm, yeah. And a lot of pace markets so much on the fact that you could be in school and still be on Broadway. That's uh-huh. so much of the, I mean, you're right, that's going to be me. Oh my God, we would have had a blast. I was, oh, I was so close to going so to pace. close. And I ended up not getting into the musical theater program, but I got into this cool new program in commercial dance, which really served so many purposes in my life and I don't regret going in the slightest. Mm-hmm. But because it was also commercial dance, there were styles of dance that are not my wheelhouse. And then there were teachers there who didn't even really understand that a lot of us were musical theater kids. So then they started seeing, now the program is prime, it's a lot of musical theater kids, but it's a lot of contemporary dancers. And a lot of people go to LA, there's more of that, but my whole class was musical theater because it was the first year. So they took a lot of kids who were auditioning for musical theater, gotcha. who had a really great dance skill set. And so that has shifted, but a lot of the teachers had to like, their learning curve had to shift because they weren't getting these like, so you think you could dance dancers. They were Mm -hmm. getting storytellers. Mm -hmm. And that experience was so, there's so many layers of it, but I think since I wasn't a kid who I felt like got the your fierce and when went out to the dance floor, no one was going to be like, yes, oh my God, look at the eight turns you just whipped out. Oh my God, look at that. Like that was not going to be my gig when I got out of school. That freedom for me ended up, I it changed me. It really did. Mm-hmm. And I think touching on that is really important because I think a lot of students feel that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if um, teachers pick up on it maybe the same way that I think that they do. So I don't want to say that they ignore it. I think they really don't know that that like influences these children. And then you feel lonely. Mm -hmm. You can go through feeling really grateful. But it's okay if you don't. It's okay if at moments it really isn't what you thought it would be too. I feel like I spent my four years in college kind of like living two lives Mm. one life was you know Bradley who's fierce who's in all the shows who's like you know in every ensemble and like he's cool and this other side of me who I felt like I was just appeasing the culture I was around and I wasn't really like digging in to what felt good I was you know I would take my song musical theater class and I would I would be good. I would take my acting classes and I would be good. I was never told I was fierce in those ways. Yeah. Dance, I was told I was fierce, but I was I never felt like I was really digging into what I wanted to do, but I was always still incredibly driven to figure out what I could do to succeed. Sure. So I figured out too that dance was a way that 
keep doing this because you can succeed with this. Which doing, I think is really interesting yeah. for you because you've had an interesting trajectory yeah. where you have been in the ensemble and we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. But then principles start happening too. And I think that is really, that um, skill set is so incredible yeah. to do it all yeah. to, and to not necessarily just do it all to do it all, but to do what is authentic to you. And if that happens to be also to dance, also to sing and to really act like, that's really incredible. Yeah, I never played. I played one uh, principal role in a show in college, and that was in a student-directed black box show my senior year. And when I did that, mm. it was the first time people were like, "Oh my God, you're you can sing really well. Like you're such yeah. a good actor." I was like, "No one ever gave me the chance to do it, nor yes. you weren't even seeing me in that way, and I wasn't even pushing myself to be seen in that light because I was so worried about." Being popular and being fierce and being, you know, and doing what was safe, which was that because you were getting told it was great. Exactly. Exactly. And to put yourself out there in a different way, no one else is going to tell you to do it. No one's going to tell you to do that. And I think that's a really important thing for people to know because, especially in college, there's only so much time. It's four years Mm -hmm. to learn as much as you can. However, you take what works and you leave the rest. Mm-hmm. And you're paying a lot of money, not just for academic growth, but for human growth. 100%. I think so much of college is about the human growth that happens and then going into the real world and not trying to be a robot of what you think it's going to be. But you will. All of us will. Yeah. And then that will slowly start to fade. Yeah. And you slowly start to figure out what actually is you and what has been what was safest yeah. for Don't a really long time. Play safe in school. I think that's my, if I have any regrets, it's mm. that I played it safe. Mm. And I really took the safe route because it wasn't easy. It was still really hard work. Sure. And I gained so much, you know, training and I loved my time there. But if I were, were to go back or to give advice to other students, I would say don't play it safe and don't just fall into what, you know, what your friends, what your teachers are telling you that looks good on you already. What you come in looking good at already and getting better at that thing. Be well-rounded because once you leave the halls of that conservatory or that college, that university, you're all in the same place, you know. Yeah. You come here and everyone can sing. Everyone is talented. Everyone is pretty. Everyone is, but what are you? And what feels good for you? What makes you feel like an artist? I think along the lines of being a conservatory, you sometimes forget that, not everyone doesn't forget, but a lot of people forget that you were an artist. And you're not just building this, you know, robot. Brutus Theater robot. I'm going to book as many shows as I can because my goal coming out of school is to book. Yeah. And instead of doing work that resonates with you, instead of finding what is your thing and what expands you, it's to book. Mm-hmm. It's to be the most successful in your class, mm-hmm. always. We, I really think every person will have some voice in the back of their head that's saying, I need to show everybody what I can do. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. I think that, I think that gives you some fire but that slowly starts to shift into something that's controllable mm-hmm. and something that's real because that's just our insecurity like flashing itself in our faces, yeah. you know? And I do think too, you know, for me, my program didn't, um, there wasn't a system quite yet because I was the first graduating class of it. So my last year, my sole goal was to create a showcase because mm-hmm. we didn't have one. And I think all of a sudden it was March and it was becoming clear that 
there wasn't a showcase in place. And my mentors um, literally were like, well, Britt, if you want to get an agent and you want to like start showing yourself to casting directors, you're going to have to be the one to do this, I think. And hopefully your teachers will help. So then I just started creating the showcase. And my sole goal was to get this one agent that I ended up getting, Wahoo, but ended up being an awful experience with that one agent. And so I would love to hear from both of your experiences too. I think we put a lot of pressure for, it's we're trying to codify a system I don't think is codified, mm-hmm. which is four years of a BFA, a senior year showcase, an agent will get you your Broadway shows. And I think that we put a lot of pressure on students to get an agent out of their senior showcases And we're always trying to be what other people want to appease others to fit whatever box they need because I want to work, I want to book. So that's the first side of desperation, right? And so I just wanted this agent and I didn't care if I didn't like them or if there was, um, I was, everyone kept saying, you're interviewing them. And I'm like, sure, but I wanted them to like me. Mm -hmm. And they signed me and then I ended up leaving for a year. And when I came back, it was a really negative awful experience in my life that informed me in ways I could only be grateful for. It really informed me. However, I'm curious for both of your experiences. Adam, we've talked about this, and I think you have such an interesting story, if you wouldn't, if you feel comfortable sharing, um, because you didn't necessarily sh- showcase, and yeah, that's I, a different I experience. I college, and I didn't know what a 16-bar cut was. Sure. So I'm very That's much here to like <laughs> to bust the idea that there's any one way, but there was an idea that in um, you know in, in college I started training heavily, you know, and you can't um, you can't overlook the idea that you have to have craft, right? Yeah. But then people often get tied up and get really obsessed with like how it's going to work and like what formula is going to get you that thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, And you can't, um, you can't tell any one person what it's going to be. It's your own personal discovery and you have to like take every, everything in. Which is why it's hard also to give advice to people too, because you know, everyone just will find certain answers when they find them as Mm -hmm. we all have. And I started like putting pieces together. I started using summers in um, my last couple summers in college to do summer intensives in New York because I wasn't getting conservatory Mm. style training. I wasn't getting the practical like, um, skill set. Um, and that was so valuable, but I still was super afraid moving to New York to do this uncertain thing. And I have been trained in a very, um, you know, achieving mentality. Um, and I have this community that is going to New York to do other things. Interesting. <laughs> to though. go work on Wall Street, to iBank, to consult around the country. To... I was surprised how many people I went to high school ended up in New York right? City because they all went to different. Obviously, no one else went to school for theater. Yeah, and then they so came I back to New York to do finance. Yes, to do <laughs> other big jobs. Um, so I think what um, I ended up going into was um, I ended up working in fashion PR. 
for I did not a know that less than a year. That's why you're so fashionable. <laughs> he is everybody. Look him up. Trendy, trendy. <laughs> He's um, so trendy. But for me, it was it was a disguise. Yeah. Um, and it was a kind of sexy place to work and I had some social collateral to tell friends what I was doing and I was working in New York Fashion Week and oh, I, love I was catching that. up with yes. people and it was easy to to play a part as if I'm living the dream. Yeah. And I remember somebody I was catching up with once asked me like how I was doing and she was like you're living the dream and it was this sudden moment of accountability um, where I couldn't say that I was living my dream because I wasn't Ooh. and it was in the face. it was yeah. so like against an authentic place that I moved to the city to pursue something I was too afraid to do it mm. so I'm now doing this other thing and it's one thing to pursue your dreams and in responsibility make compromises and create a very fulfilling life doing other things um but that's not what i was doing yeah if i would have said oh yeah i'm living my dream that would be trading in my dream for something else and calling that other thing my counterfeit dream which so many people i'm sure do in order to survive in order to eat in order to not get out of the safe place. Yeah, but, out of fear. but there there was a difference because um, in that place, there was no ownership. Sure. And I think in ownership, we have power. And we're empowered our, around our ownership. We can take charge of our, our, our decisions and our responsibilities and our compromises. And that ownership allows us to be fulfilled. I love that. But I didn't even try. I was faking it. So I was faking it. I ended up quitting that job, walking out. How old were you? I was 20, almost 23, 22, 22. Yeah, almost 23. Okay. And then I walked out of there and started, I, it was in Soho. I walked across the street to Balthazar, the Bougie McNally yeah. restaurant, and I <laughs> yeah. asked if they were hiring. Yeah. I got a job there. Oh, we talked about this the other day. <laughs> yeah. That restaurant life. I'm working there now, friends. So <laughs> then I started putting the pieces together and doing the audition work and that's Hustling. that is that is the work yeah and i was super fortunate that i did take some intensives over summers learning what i needed to do mm -hmm. in auditioning and i knew that i was so far behind like there were people going into the business who were four years ahead of me on what the practice of doing that work was but i knew that going to princeton provided a skill set that created a well-rounded person. Yes. And I had enough um, capability and intelligence to catch up. And it's all relative because they were catching up in other ways. Sure, mm -hmm. sure, you know? absolutely. But in yeah, the moment, yeah, yeah. when it's obviously like it's the hard. profession, you only see that side of your catch-up as and opposed to the other side. It's incredibly daunting and and scary when New York is such an expensive place. Oh, and, yes. Um, for everything I learned at Princeton, it also was a huge 
privileged bubble that didn't prepare me for the realities of the world, not coming from money, not coming from a place that I would learn like financial stability or financial like literacy in a real tangible functional way. So then here I am trying to like figure that out, but then also opting into this like uncertainty, which my whole life I've been trying to prevent. Oh, I understand that. But then this thing is pulling me. So I think my hustle and my gumption like put some things together. And, you know, when you create momentum, it's like a magnetism to to what you are supposed to be doing. Um, when you're authentic in that. Um, And I also used the idea that I have to do this in partnership. I don't have anybody else that like, I really, I don't have a community going into this, so I have to create a community. Mm. And that um, I think is the number one thing for anyone that arts. Um, You're doing something that is a collaborative form. And in order to be functional in it, you have to find your community because, number one, it allows you to be a part of something that is greater than yourself. And you're therefore contributing to a collective effervescence, which is edifying to yourself as a human, but also in the right environments, that community is going to be giving you awareness and feedback. And that accountability allows you to grow. And sometimes accountability is hard and it's vulnerable, but if you take it on with responsibility and ownership, then you are able to grow. And I ended up putting pieces together. I ended up getting a part of Biorkley's Asian American Community Choir. What? That was like the very first community of people pursuing it. I was singing, you know, in the tenor section with other kids that just graduated from BFAs and other things, and we were bonding in our Asian identity. Very And then also there were people that were literally just from the community singing. So it was this melting pot, but all under this umbrella of powerhouse Bayork Lee, who's like an advocate for that community. And then I ended up reaching out to some other people and some people from college I knew pursuing music because Princeton has an amazing music department. And then there's this one kid who ended up um, getting into musical theater, music, music directing. And he was working on um, this Columbia Stages production of Marie Christine. And it was being done like off, off Broadway. And um, it was under like equity showcase rules. So oh, interesting. They needed folks and I auditioned and I got available. And that was my first thing in New York. And I still have friends like in the business, like from it. But it was really powerful because um, it was the first time the show had been done in New York since it was on Broadway with Audra. And um, Michael John LaCusa got involved with it because he loves his show so yes. much. So then it got like all this press and a little bit of like this like little like feature moment. And from that, a lot of reps ended up coming and I ended up getting representation with my first agent out of that first show in New York. So interesting. Um, And that like took a little bit of time, but I think that was just like so fortunate for me coming from a place where I didn't have 
um, a showcase, of yeah. course, and I was like learning. And then now I was able to have a little bit more access to be auditioning in rooms that I couldn't get into as a non-union person who didn't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I put pieces before that to develop my craft, right? Sure. And then I focused on community. And then the community opened doors to, at the same time as I was getting those practical skills. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But it still came from like these investing in concrete ways yeah um so that's like how my like kind of fortunate path went and then from there i I just you know kind of kept in in that regular hustle and i'm curious for both of you um so now you're in new york you're starting out yeah i always love my fiance story about his first audition in new york city he's wearing like jazz pants and a black top and if you know jacob smith that's a sight for sore eyes (laughs) Because that's what What he was told to wear when he was in conservatory. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, especially in comparison to your experiences now, how would you say your first audition experience was or your first couple versus what you bring to the room now and how you choose to audition now as the owner of, I like to say we're owners of our businesses and our businesses happen to be our person. And now I run my business the way I choose to run it. However, out of school, I had a fucking skater dress and tan heels, and I only wore skirts and a leotard to my auditions because that and half up, half down hair. You better believe it. Mm-hmm. When I had hair. Um, <laughs> you better believe, you better believe it. better believe it because Brittany was making it work. She was like, oh, well, that's what books jobs. I'll do it. Yeah. Now I wear like whatever I view to be authentic to me, but I'm curious how that has evolved for both of you. Ooh, you figure out what's your journey. best self <laughs> yeah. in that moment. I feel that I go into a room looking like my best self on that day. When I got out of school, I had all these amazing um, puzzle pieces to make me who I am, the performer that I needed to be, that was told that was, you know, I would be successful if I was right. this way. And I was constantly yeah. affirmed throughout my time in college, whether it be workshops or teachers or auditions I had, you know, would go to New York on a spring break and audition for something, and I would get this response based on me being this cookie-cutter version of myself. Yeah. And I came to New York, you know, ready. Driven by that training, also driven by the fact that it was either make it work here or go home to North Carolina because I didn't have any money, and my family didn't have any money to support me. So yeah. my entire time, I, I, I auditioned just looking, you know, a, a bold colored V-neck tight shirt, some jeans and a boot. <laughs> and I was ready to sing my little 16 bar cut and dance yeah. as hard as I could to get the jobs. And I was getting the jobs. I had the, you know, that perfect one in a million experience. I got to New York June 1st. And by July 1st, you know I, the story? I don't think I know this. It's absolutely crazy. In a month. Okay. By July 1st, oh. I had booked an off-Broadway show an out-of-town trial of the Broadway show, and my first Broadway job. Three jobs in one month, I got them. So now, do you find that to be? Because I think this is, I love everything about this. I love this stuff. I know, I know. But I think this is so important because I think that we put that into being what comes to the students who are the most talented. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I also think you get what, you need to receive in that moment to put you where the next part of your journey is. So for you, all of those things came to you because you were in some place to receive it. Mm-hmm. And someone else 
will receive something else mm-hmm. that pushes them a certain direction. So I would love to hear how you um, navigated that and what you were feeling ego-wise. Ooh. Um, well, I always say I had a one-in-a-million experience, but when those things happened, I everything came crumbling down. I was in the darkest place of my life. I was broken. I was on Broadway at you know, 21, 22 years old, and I was so alone, I was so miserable, I was having panic attacks every day. I didn't want to be on Broadway, I didn't want to be in theater, I didn't want to do it, and I felt so bad because I couldn't, I couldn't out loud yes. say that to anyone because yes. all of my friends were working in restaurants and trying to figure out how to be in New York. I was yep. so alone, I had no friends in the community who were my age, I had, I was in a show with all older people who had been in 10 Broadway shows or didn't, or the show was just stressful and they didn't have time to sit around and listen to this 21 year old complain about being on Broadway. Yeah. Like, I was so lost. I I started auditioning with the agents that I got from my showcase that I met my senior year of college and things started taking off. And, and, you know, I moved to New York with my best friend who we shared a, a, at one point we shared a, a bedroom to make sure we had enough money to eat. So we were getting up every day from this full-size bed, you know, packing our bags <laughs> for the day, our, our restaurant work outfits, yeah. our audition clothes, our books, leaving at 8 a.m. and not coming back until like 1 a.m. because that's how long the day was. Right. Just to like make it work. And so much was happening because I would get these callbacks and I would be working on that. I would be getting offered a reading. I would get offered, you know, this out-of-town tryout. Just, just an offer. Not even an audition for it. Just... You want to come to San Diego and do this show. I didn't know what out-of-town tryout was. Sure. I, all these things were happening, and I was excited about it because at the time, they weren't. it wasn't actually happening. It was just an email, or you got it. And Which is like a little like pat-pat on the shoulder. Yeah. Button, and you're like, people know who I am. Yeah, and everyone's what telling me. What did I me, do for this to yeah, happen? Yeah, people are saying once again, like, you're fierce. So I'm like, yes, lining I'm up with, I'm still <laughs> lining up in this lane of like doing what is safe. It's not so hard for me. I'm, oh, I have like, this the tenacity. Is what been talking about? Yeah, <laughs> I have the tenacity to do it. Like I'm so driven. Not only it's happening, but I'm kicking my butt to do it. Mm. And I'm still getting these opportunities while you know working in a restaurant, having no money. And I'm I'm doing it. It all starts happening. And the first experience that I did Shakespeare in the Park that was really cool. It was like being shot out of a cannon. Yes, I'm I forgot you, you know that. I'm in a little small cast with Daniel Breaker, Rebecca Naomi Jones, Patty Murray, and like. Colin Donnell. I saw also you in it. I, yeah, I'm in the show. I literally saw this. Yeah. And I did He's not know you. I'm in the show with them, that. and they're sitting in rehearsal, and like, I'm going to lunch with them, just like sitting around, like they're talking about their lives and what I should do, like how I should go about this and that. And I'm like, okay, sure. sure. But I'm doing Good great, experience. <laughs> I go out of town to San Diego, and I like, I don't really enjoy that because I'm away from all my friends. I'm around these people I don't know. They're so much older. You know, doing an out-of-town job now, you are either going to click with people you work with, but you're also kind of like having some me time. You're setting up other parts of your life. They have families. They have husbands, wives, whatever. Um, I'm missing, you know, my, like, person that I'm dating who's, like, trying to figure out how to, like, make money in New York. I'm worried about, like, you know, I'm not having that same experience. I get to Broadway. And it is the worst experience of my life. I am so miserable. It is so overwhelming. I'm a swing in the show. So I'm covering like nine or ten tracks. I've never been a swing before. I didn't know how to do that. The show itself was a a monster. Rocky was a big, massive, massive show that it took so much to just do anything. 
in it. Yeah. Much less be a swing that had never been a, a swing before. Sure. And then to top it off, I was so depressed and overwhelmed by, by life and being a new New Yorker. And yeah. having, like, trying to get my first apartment or subletting from this place to the next place or having dating drama or whatever. Um, having no one to talk to. And then on top of that, having someone in the show who is supposed to be, you know, uh, 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 a guide for me or helping me takes full, you know, control of opportunity and completely mistreats me. Yeah. Completely abuses their power to completely continue to shut me down. And I will say abuse. I've never even talked about this before. Someone older than me who has been in plenty of shows, who who knows the struggle, mm. completely takes advantage of me and sees that I'm in a dark place, see that I'm confused, see that I don't know what is the right way or the wrong way to handle a Broadway job or to do anything, takes complete control of that and continues to like abuse me. Yeah. And like watch me crumble and get so much joy out of it that I don't, I still don't understand to this day why it was done in that way. Sure. Um, and you may never. I may never understand. I don't really need to yeah. either. But it's so funny to have like this, you know, amazing like musical theater geek's dream New York turn happen to you. And I was so Miserable. Every day I would wake up, I would wake up in my sublet apartment, my little room on the Upper West Side, and I would like cry. I would open my eyes and I would cry. Oh. And I would call my grandma on the phone and I would cry. And I would just say how I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Because mm. I didn't, I felt so lost. And I, the day my company manager called me and told me that Rocky was closing, you know, they call everyone and make that phone call, I was so happy. Then I immediately got stressed because I was like, how sure, am I going to make yeah, money? And I called my agents and cried. And I'm like, what do I do? But I was so happy because I was so miserable. And I literally said to myself in that moment, I was at a Dunkin' Donuts by my apartment. I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this anymore. I was like, I had, you know, the best experience you could have as far as on paper. Yes. Got it. Yes. I don't think I want to do this. I remember praying as I walked home to my apartment. I was like, God... I think I accept not wanting to do this anymore. I don't know what else to do because I've literally done only this my entire life. <laughs> yeah. All my time, all my energy, all my thoughts, all everything was was geared toward doing this. You gave it to me. But I'm okay with not doing it ever again because I'm miserable. And if, it shouldn't feel like this. This doesn't feel good. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I think this is... It's so... Number one so much bravery in you sharing that. Number two, that is what this entire podcast was built upon, was shedding light on these experiences that people are too scared to share because we work so hard to get there. And we think that the fog will clear when you finally get your Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And when you finally hit what you believe to be the top. The and you hit it very young. And the fog did not clear. No. And I think that is so incredibly important for every kid who is in any sort of university right now. Or anyone who is like hustling in New York City. That it is not about booking the Broadway show. Mm -mm. It is about 
creating a life, creating a day-to-day life that makes you your best self. Mm -hmm. And that is with people you love, people you care about, doing, if your side job makes you miserable, find a side job that uses the skill sets that you have that are beyond the performer skill sets because you are bigger than just that performer. And I also think it talks about how we are really trained to audition. Mm -hmm. We are really trained to get jobs. But programs and conservative, conservatives, intensives don't really prepare you for when you actually have have the job. And some jobs will be toxic and gross and ugly. And you hope that doesn't happen to people consistently. And some will be the experiences of your lifetime Mm -hmm. and make you cry every day because you're so excited about going to work. Mm -hmm. But I think that's so incredible that you just shared that because so many people have experienced that and have felt ashamed to share it because we're supposed to be grateful that we're on Broadway. I think if you're not grateful for your job, and I think if you're in a Broadway show right now and you're not grateful, you need to reevaluate. I don't know if it's reevaluate your entire life. I don't think it has to be that you're not supposed to do this anymore. But you have to figure out what needs to change in your life so you can go to work every day. Yeah. And unfortunately for us, if we give up this show, we are unemployed. Mm-hmm. So that is the hard part of I don't know how you bring your best self to work when work doesn't make you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that there is... There's a lot to be said because, you know, the schedule is is difficult and um, there are aspects at which you can look at the work as a job because it also is a job. Um, but it's also something that um, a lot of performers are just so passionate about, you know, and it can often be a, a two-edged sword. Um, a lot of times performers can be taken advantage of Yep. Because you're so passionate about this and it can be so thrilling. And so we'll do anything. So you'll do, do anything for it. So like, you know, you're getting the most. Everyone wants to be doing what you're doing. Why do you need more money? Or why do you need this? Or why do you need that? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's a job. It's also a job. Yeah. Um, but I think with that, there's another conflation, which I'm very, very much in belief that... Um, oftentimes we conflate passion and purpose and we have to remember like why we're doing things in order to continue doing them Um, and I don't believe that our purpose is so fixed to any one job I could not (laughs) agree more because it's about what we're able to do with our whole vessel in that capacity and that can be a lot of things so I am passionate about many things. Mm-hmm. Being a performer is one of them. Yeah. And my purpose is ignited through that passion. I But my yes. purpose doesn't go away when I'm not on stage. Yes. And my yes. purpose can also be ignited in some other area because mm-hmm. you don't become a different person when you get injured. You don't get become a different person when you transition. Um, you have the same purpose. Um, And that's something that I've learned in my journey. All right. 
We've wrapped up part one of my conversation with Bradley and Adam. Please make sure you tune in for part two, which you can find on the same page. I've uploaded both of them at the same time. I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it.